The following sermon was preached at Redeeming Grace Fellowship. For more information about RGF, please visit our website at www.rgf.church. Please feel free to make copies of this sermon or distribute to friends and family. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. We spend a lot of time singing as a church, uh, as you have just uh, witnessed. Uh, and, you know, the questions may come to mind. Why do we sing? You know, what do we sing? And uh, what if we can't sing? Right? So I want to start by reading uh, the, the two passages of Scripture um, that uh, my sermon is based on. So if you could turn your Bibles with me first to Colossians 3. Uh, verse um, 16 to 17. Colossians 3, 16 to 17. I'll read from the ESV. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And the next passage is from Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, in spiritual songs, <clears throat> singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we'll see from the Bible what it has to say about singing, and we'll use these passages as a basis. I have five uh, main points. If you're a note-taker, uh, I believe the points, the, the slide will be up on the screen. Great. Uh, the first point is the context of singing. Second is why the church sings. The third is to whom the church sings. Number four, what the church sings. And number five, how the church sings. All right, let's first pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you help us all to see the invaluable worth of singing and what a privilege it is for your people. Instruct us from your word about the role of singing in our lives and in the gathering. And please dispel our fears or misconceptions about this wonderful gift. And Lord, give us listening hearts and a desire to apply what we know is right. Break down in our hearts barriers like fear of man or spiritual laziness. And instead, give us a renewed passion to make melody unto you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is worthy of our praise. Amen. So first point, the context of singing. Right? As background, let's talk about the church and its gathering. With the context of singing today, as some churches may call it, our church calls it the corporate worship gathering, or the CWG for short. Right? That's the Sunday gathering of the local church. There are many other gatherings of the church, like a, a prayer gathering or a, or a community group or a small group, right? And the church is a body of believers saved by grace and brought into the kingdom of God. 
Philippians 3.20 actually describes us as citizens of heaven. Because the world is actually not our home, right? Ultimately, our citizenship and our home is in heaven with God. The church is like an outpost or an embassy of the kingdom of heaven. And we live in exiles in this world. That we, the Bible says that we are in the world, but not of the world. And as a church, we make up this embassy that represents the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 5.20 calls us ambassadors for Christ. So in the way that the United States has a piece of property, literally, in the United Kingdom or in India, and the U.S. has dominion there, God has dominion and authority, particularly over this church. Right? So when we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that is particularly true here. God's kingdom is especially present here because his will is carried out among us. And our gathering is a unique manifestation of this embassy because we are the church. The church is not a building, but in scripture it always refers to a group of people. And so when we gather in one place, the church is assembled, right? The kingdom of God is made manifest, and God's authority is treasured. The, his word is preached. His will is carried out. We give glory and honor to our Lord, and we are renewed in our commitment to him, and then we are sent out on his mission to the world. Uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 12, 24, 22 to 24, talks about the corporate worship gathering in this way. It says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So years ago, a brother shared this really powerful imagery with me that during this gathering that we're actually almost getting a glimpse into heaven, right? That when we come here, we can imagine that in this building that the roof is being torn off and we are engaging in heavenly worship. That's what this passage is saying, right? This meeting, it may look plain to some, but we are participating in worship with angels, and the assembly of the believers who are in heaven. That instead of coming to uh, Mount Sinai, that we are coming to Mount Zion, where God dwells. And in the midst of this fallen world, that we are here to encourage one another, to build one another up, and to preach the gospel to one another. And it's in this gathering that we are singing. So point number two is why the church sings. Right? What, what's, the, what's the purpose? And there are several reasons why the church sings. First, singing is commanded in Scripture. There are countless verses in the Bible that speaks about singing. To name a few, Psalm 149, verse 1. Praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Psalm 147, 7. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. And Isaiah 42.10, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. Many of these commands come from the Psalms, 
But here in our passage, passages today, Paul actually instructs us to sing. Ephesians 5.19, addressing one another in Psalms. Elsewhere in the New Testament, James 5.13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So it's not just a command, but it's for our good. The second reason is that the church sings because it engages our emotions. And that's a good thing. Right? Music engages us in a way that sometimes words on a page or regular speech cannot. Right? Its tones and rhythms have influence over our emotions. Sometimes in bad ways, so it can be used to give praise to God when you know, we don't actually feel what we are singing, but oftentimes God, right, God has made us emotional creatures who respond to music. Consider the role of background music. Have you ever watched a, a, a scary movie and then just turned off the sound? Right? It's not that scary anymore. Right? Or uh, you know, when, I, when I went to school in, uh, in, in Manhattan for college, one time I would put my headphones in and I turned the music up really loud, classical music, and it, it was so cool. It was like everyone was like walking in like slow motion. <laughs> and I had like my own soundtrack in New York City. Right, if you've ever heard the song uh, Someone Like You by Adele, right, you'll know what I mean by the power of music. I've had a friend cry to a soundtrack of a Korean drama once. She didn't even know how to speak Korean. There were actually no words in the soundtrack. It was just the music of the oboe that <clears throat> made her cry. Right, there can be joy and delight and sadness in our hearts as we make music to God. And otherwise, the church, we'd just be standing here reading lyrics all day. Right, these, musics are, uh, these emotions are engaged when we're singing to the Lord. Uh, the famous preacher Jonathan Edwards, he writes, The duty of singing praises to God seems to be given wholly to excite and express religious affections. There is no other reason why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and with music, except that these things have a tendency to move our affections. What Jonathan Edwards is saying is that if it weren't for music, right, we could just read this, the lyrics to the songs out loud. But they are set to music so that our godly emotions, right, these religious affections, can be expressed to God. And so I'm going to be singing in my, in my message a little bit here. Right? It would, and uh, you know, if you want to sing along, you can. But think of the song Amazing Grace. right? Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Right? Our hearts are moved when we can deeply consider these words. And as I mentioned before, music can be made to manipulate emotions. Right? But we should, that should not be the case in corporate worship. <clears throat> Rather than fabricate what's not there, we should sing with music to allow God's people to express true worship. The third reason why we sing is that it helps us to remember. Right? And we know that words set to music are much easier to recall. Right? When <clears throat> in the early days of the the computer, when I was learning how to use the computer, I thought my brain also worked like a computer. So, you know, like a, a text file, right, is like five kilobytes. And uh, a music file is like 5,000 kilobytes. 
So I thought that, you know, a paragraph of text should be easier to remember than music or, or an image or a video. But we all know that's not how the brain works, right? So advertising exploits this ability, right? So we're going to play a game. I'm going to sing the beginning of a song, and then you sing the rest of the song or, or the word, right? Give me a break, give me a break, break me off a piece of that. Yeah. The best part of waking up is in your cup. That's right. I don't want to grow up. I'm a... They've got a million toys at Toys R Us, right? That I can play with. So sad. They're gone now, right? Invites the dust. Oh, Amazon, what have you done? They've uh, a historic institution gone okay so by repeating a song over and over right it's etched into our minds right i can't even say the words like let it go without you thinking about a certain song right you you may already know this but actually alzheimer's patients some of them if they 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 have trouble remembering uh, basic things but they can sing songs that they recall from years ago right when we're singing the truths of scripture that is what we want to be left in our minds when all our faculties are gone. We want to be singing about Jesus, these songs that we sang today, over and over again. And so the next question naturally becomes, to whom is the church singing? Right? If this is your first time at the gathering, it might seem odd to you. A friend of mine who was, uh, before she was a believer, she said the first time she came to a church, she thought it was really strange that everyone was singing. She wondered whose birthday it was. <coughs> right? So first, when we sing, we talk about uh, three audiences. And the first one is obvious. Right? The first one is to God. Right? Ephesians 5.19 says that we are singing and making melody to the Lord. It's a worship is radically God-centered. We sing praises unto God and about God. And we worship God because he is worthy. We worship God for who he is, infinite, almighty, wise and holy. He truly deserves all worship. He is the only being that it would be wrong for us not to worship. Right? Listen to this quote from Nine Marks Ministries. It says, Worship is our proper response to the magnificence, the splendor, and majesty of God's character. A God who is, as D.A. Carson writes, delightfully worthy of our praise. Worship goes beyond simply knowing what God is like. It means that we take delight in the perfection of his attributes. Right, so that means that singing in the beginning of the service, is, it's not some kind of like transition time. Right? I used to think that singing was like warm-up, like stretching you know, before a workout, right? before um, you know, to get people in the right mood or it's just simply a preparation for the message. But no, it is worship to God in itself. In singing, we are actually speaking to God, and that is not a light matter. Right? We actually have no right to approach God, except that we come bearing the name of his Son. And that's why when we pray, we don't just pray, we pray in Jesus' name. Right? He is the one that gives us direct access to the Father. And have you ever stood back and thought about how amazing it is that we even, we even can speak to God, right? As sinful and as rebellious as we are, right? Think about 
Think about if you had a friend who just betrayed you, right? A friend who, who, who said that he loved you and betrayed you, that that person is now coming to you to speak to you. That's a, that's a, that's a very difficult thing to do, right? But God, we, we have the right. We are actually invited to speak to God. We are told to sing to him. And also, you know, if I were to sing to God, I would want to be a great singer, right? If I were to sing to the president, you know, at his inauguration or something, you know, you'd want to be a great singer. And I don't know if there are professional singers out here, but, you know, we, we, we can come to God because he accepts us gladly, that he has adopted us as sons. We come because Jesus has redeemed us from our sins, and we can call God our Father, Right? My son is not the greatest singer, but when he sings, I love it. I, I love it. He can get the words wrong. He can get the melody upside down and I ask him to keep doing it again. And after about 10 times, I tell him to, you know, that he's done. <laughs> Another audience that we sing to is each other. Right? Ephesians 5.19 says that we are addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Colossians 3.16 reads, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I want to emphasize this point because it may not be familiar to some of you today, right? When I first uh, learned about it, it turned my world upside down to learn about this aspect of singing. So when the Bible says that we are singing, we're not just singing to God, but each other. We are testifying about God's grace to each other. So when I'm saying that God is great, I'm speaking to God, but I'm also saying it in the hearing of other people. We sing the lyrics, Name above all names, worthy of all praise. In my heart we'll sing, how great is our God. Right? It's not just that we're declaring these things to God, but we're singing it to each other. So when the chorus of that song goes, how great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And often in churches, we talk about speaking the truth in love. Right? That comes from Ephesians 4.15. And often it, it refers to giving criticism and loving admonishment to a brother or sister in a kind way, right? But Mike Cosper, in his, in his book, Rhythms of Grace, and he's a, he's a worship leader as well, he's, he talks about how speaking or singing praise songs is actually a fulfillment of speaking truth in love. He writes, it is not so much about interpersonal boldness as it is about a community that shares a confession, a unified expression of faith in God who saved them. The gathered body teaches the word and proclaims it together. We speak the truth in love as we sing, read the scriptures, and remember the gospel together. So let me ask you a question. Right? What do you do when you feel spiritually depressed? What if your heart feels cold and you don't feel like praising God? We need reminders of the truth, don't we? And we can sing Psalm 130. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. Worship his holy name. 
Sing like never before, O my soul, I'll worship your holy name. What do we do when we face difficulties in this life? Right? As a church, we want to sing weighty songs that carry us through dark times. That we together as one body, we're singing the promises of God. And we show our solidarity in trusting him. We counsel each other in conversations, but we speak God's word directly to the depths of each other's hearts in song. Perhaps a loved one has passed. Perhaps you're sick for the 10th time this year. Your bank account is running low. Perhaps your life has taken a turn for the worst. Or you're being persecuted for Christ, and yet you need the word of Christ to dwell in you richly. Let your heart sing. Go then, earthly fame and treasure. Come disaster, scorn and pain. In thy service, pain is pleasure. With thy favor, loss is gain. I have called thee, Abba, Father. I have stayed my heart on thee. Storms may howl and clouds may gather. All must work for good to me. Or the famous hymn, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only be first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Doesn't that encourage you? Right? How beautiful are these words? What life-giving truth is described here? And when you sing these songs and mean them, we're building a rock-solid foundation for our faith. Right? And may I point out something that I really appreciate about the service today is that you keep the lights on. Right? Because I can hear my friends singing these truths, but I can also see people who have gone through trials in their lives. Right? Folks that have had surgeries, perhaps, miscarriages, unemployment. I can hear from their very mouths that all must work for good to me. Right? And this is why, this is also one of the reasons why at, at my church and here that we don't turn the music up so loud that we can't even hear ourselves. Right? It's fully within our power to blind the windows, turn off the lights, buy more speakers, and crank the music. You guys have a really fancy mixer back there, by the way. Right? But we don't. Why? Because in light of Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, congregational singing is a communal activity. Right? The role of the band is to accompany and to facilitate congregational singing. The band leads the church in which direction to sing, but the main instrument of the church is not the keyboard, it's not the drums, it's the congregation. Right? And you know, I, I, know, I know we're not perfect, the band is not perfect, our band is not perfect, but that is what we aim to do. Right? And so one of the band's goals is that we want to play excellently so that the congregation can sing to the Lord without distraction. 
Right? We want to select songs that are accessible to as many people as possible, as was done today. So for example, some songs, they have like a really big range of notes, right? That it makes it very difficult to sing or some complicated melodies, right? Like um, the Star Spangled Banner starts, oh, say, can you see? And then other land of the free, right? It goes, you have to be, you have to be a professional to really sing that one, all right? So some lyrics have... Some songs have lyrics that are kind of difficult to explain, even biblically. They're not all bad. Maybe that's just suited, better suited for another time. Maybe when you're in the shower with a bar of soap or something. Right? So singing during corporate worship is, is not something that we do alone. Right? And I'm not saying you can't ever close your eyes and silently meditate on the lyrics. But by default, we should not cut ourselves off from everyone around us. Because again, we're not just singing to God, we're singing to each other. Right? It's a good thing to open your eyes and look around and see who's singing because that, that encourages us. Right? The whole idea of corporate worship is that we're gathered together as one body. The third audience that we must realize is there are, there are non-Christians in our presence also. And I'm not just talking about adults, but children as well. Children, teenagers, people that we think are Christians but are truly not. Right? We're singing about the truth about the gospel. So unbelievers are hearing the gospel preached from our lips and are witnesses to how much we delight in God. Songs like Holy God, uh, the, the gospel song, Holy God in love became perfect man to bear my blame. On the cross he took my sin, by his death I live again. That's a great song for children to learn. Two wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness. My value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. Hey, that's a wonderful verse. That's, that's one of the fa- my, my, the, my most favorite parts of a song in all of the songs that I know. Right? These words are simple, powerful, memorable, and understandable to all. Right? So the gathering of the church, it's not centered on unbelievers. It's centered on Christ, but we should not disregard those who are unfamiliar with the gospel. We want to make our our gatherings and our songs understandable and our songs accessible. We speak plainly and simply about God's word so that all can understand and believe. So this fourth point leads me to the content of our songs. Colossians 3.16 says that we are singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I think psalms here, is referring to the psalms found in the Old Testament. Tradi- uh, hymns refer to traditional songs and spiritual songs to contemporary ones. Right? And we are to sing these songs as, it says, as the word of Christ dwells in us richly. What is the word of Christ? Simply the teachings from Jesus Christ. Right? Or in other words, you can say that it's referring to scripture. So the, the, the command is to have scripture dwell in us. In a similar way, in 
Ephesians 5.19, it says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Right? There's much that can be exposited there in that phrase, to be filled with the Spirit. But take a simple look at the contrast that Paul is setting up here. Instead of being drunk with wine, that is to, be under, to drink lots of alcohol, to be under its control and influence, right? he's saying to drink or to take in the Spirit and be under the Spirit's control and influence. So how do we drink the Spirit? Right? How do we come under the Spirit's control? We do this by constantly thinking about the Spirit, by living lives obedient and in control to the Spirit. And how do we do that? How do we know what God's will is for us to obey and to think? That is through God's word. Right? So, so these passages are saying the same thing. In short, to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the word of God and to live under the control of the Spirit of God. And so this is the reason why we want to sing songs based on God's word. What better way to have the word of Christ dwell in us than to sing it over and over again? What better way to be filled with the spirit than to sing God's word so that it can be planted in us? Right? The NASB goes further to say that we are teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So songs are a preaching tool. Right? I know that the, in the gathering, the central point of the gathering is the, the word of God preached. But some people don't remember all the points in a sermon. And I'm not saying you guys. Right? I know you guys re- remember every point of every sermon. But often, I am, I am convinced more and more as I observe uh, different churches, as I serve as a worship leader, that the singing portion of the service is of great influence in the church. It really changes the way. It, because singing and, and the words that we sing preach to us. Right? There's a theology behind what we sing. And it may, it may be implied. It may not be explicitly there as to what the church believes. But the songs, over time, shape the way we think. Almost, in, almost to a degree as the preached word does. And it, and it stays with us. It's often, you know, when we, when we leave the gathering, we're like humming the last song that we heard. And so we want to sing songs that are rich in theological content. We want our Sunday lyrics to be based on biblical truth. Right? And, and so what should our primary focus be when we sing? There, even in, in, in Christendom, there's a lot of songs, Right? There's so many songs. Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the gospel is of first importance. So we want to sing songs like we did today about the gospel. I love that the sign outside the church just says the gospel-centered. Our church is the same thing. We wear it on our sleeve day in, day out. And when when I'm discouraged, what comes to mind is scripture and scripture through song. And every day I need, Eric Park needs reminders of the gospel. Right? Where does your heart go after you've sinned, you've repented, but you still feel the overwhelming guilt in your soul? Right? You've sinned against your friend, your wife, your child, and you're in despair. Did God really forgive me? Right? Is Christ's blood really enough? Sing. This the power of the cross. Christ became sinful us 
took the blame, bore the wrath, we stand forgiven at the cross. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. When you, when you can't read the Bible, when you can't pray, if you're ever to that point, I am so sorry. But sing. That's okay. Just sing and let these words that are based on scripture guide you to prayer and guide you back to the Lord. This song, Before the Throne of God Above, we learn about substitutionary atonement, union with Christ, the priesthood of Christ, eternal security, other powerful doctrines of the Christian faith, right? What an incredible foundation. This, this is what my soul needs to sustain the fight of faith for 30, 50, 100 years. That when I can't remember anything in this world, these are the songs that I want to remember. Amen? Some time ago, I watched a video of a famous uh, pop singer who had visited a child with leukemia in the hospital. And the boy was ex very excited to see her. Right? And she was, she was extremely kind. This very famous person made time out of her schedule to go there. She got down on her knees, asked the boy, you know, what he likes. He liked Spider-Man, you know, and, and, and he requested that she sing a song for him. And again, it's, it's very kind. I, I, I applaud her, her, um, her kindness. But the song that she sang was about a song breaking up uh, with her boyfriend, oh. right? And... Again, I, I appreciate the intent, but I was sad that this is what she had to offer. What would, what would have been better to sing? Right? Like, it is well with my soul would have been a great choice. Or in Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Right? We want to sing unshakable truths. These are what get us through difficult times, the rich, weighty, and immovable words of God. And parents, we want to teach our kids these songs. At a young age, we want them to know these truths and the truth with a capital T. Right? Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. My four-year-old can sing that song. 
What other song is there that teaches about the Trinity like that? I mean, that's awesome. Right? The triune nature of God. What an, what an amazing opportunity for children to learn these songs. My son doesn't understand what the Trinity is. No, I mean, no one does, but he doesn't understand some of these words. But that's okay. That's okay. We hum, we hum songs all the time. We don't know what the lyrics are. Right? So I've talked about why the church sings, to whom the church sings, what the church sings. Here's some application on how the church sings. The first is to actually sing. Right? In light of the purposes and benefits of singing, I encourage every one of you to sing out loud. Why? Because we're singing to God and to each other. Right? You don't have to be great at it. The church is not like American Idol where we vote you out, ask you to leave. Please sit in the back, sir. You know, you're, you're scaring the children. We don't do that, right? You don't have to be a diva to sing. I remember at the church I grew up at, I, there was a brother who sat in the front. He sang loudly, but he was genuinely tone deaf. And it was distracting at first, but it was what an encouragement it was later to see him singing as loud as he could. Remember that God is described in the Bible as singing loudly as well. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. So as we imitate God we sh- in all things, right, we should try to imitate him with loud singing. The second application is to be outwardly expressive as we worship in song. Now, I know that's, this is a little uncomfortable here, but, right? I encourage you to use your hands, right? Maybe use your feet a little bit, right? The following is a passage from Bob Coughlin's book called Worship Matters. He talks about outward expressiveness while singing. He says, he writes, Physical responsiveness to God in worship is encouraged and modeled throughout Scripture. Various actions can bring God glory, including clapping, Singing, bowing, kneeling, lifting hands, shouting, playing instruments, dancing, and standing in awe. These actions are just outward expressions of what's going on inwardly. Right? When we get excited, it is very common for us to stand up, you know, to clap and cheer and shout as we see in the Bible. Right? The act of raising hands while singing, it's not uncommon even in secular music. Right? We might be afraid of what other people think. But to that, I say, don't concern yourself about what other people think. Just concentrate on God. And also, I would say, it's not very convincing for us to say that we truly love the Lord and that we're thankful as we worship him. But then as we're singing, we stand there expressionless and motionless. Right? People are convinced by joy. It's like, this is the most amazing food I've ever eaten. And then you, you eat, right? When I, when, I, when I eat a good meal, I, I applaud. I stand up and I applaud. And my wife is like, sit down. I'm like, no, this, this has to be. You have to applaud the chef. Sometimes that chef is my wife. Right? Also, think about the following, right? While singing out loud is one way to show each other that we are praising God together, we can also ask, what are some other ways that we can communicate that? Right? Lifting our hands and clapping 
I mean, trust me, it really does encourage others to see people do that. And I'm not saying no one does that here, right? Please don't hear what I'm not saying. Right? So nevertheless, it must be said that other forms of expression can be performed without any spiritual life inside. Right? Kneeling and bowing are not sure signs of inward change. Just because someone lifted their hands, it doesn't mean that they're certainly genuine on in the inside. But you know, that just means that the issue, it's, it lies within our hearts. And so this leads to the next application. <laughs> Ephesians 5.19 says to be filled with the Spirit, making melody to the Lord with your heart. The most important posture in worship is that we're singing to God with our hearts. We don't just sing with our lips. The words we speak are too important to be thrown away. Right? We should understand the lyrics and let the truth sink in so that we can respond in spirit and in truth. As we make melody, let's think about Christ. Think about how amazing the gospel is. God the Father who made the heavens and the earth, that he would become a man and die for sinners like us? That we, in our sin, that we spite him and want nothing to do with his holiness? That he offers us life and salvation at great cost to himself and freely to us through faith? We don't deserve it. No one here deserves it. And yet we are here. Think about the Savior, Jesus Christ, the mighty Son of God, the Lion and the Lamb, full of grace and truth. Christ the Healer, who healed the sick and comforts the lowest in society. Demons tremble at his name. Hurricanes are subject to his authority. Christ cannot be outwitted by a thousand schemes of the Pharisees, and yet he allows himself to be overpowered and gives up his life willingly. Imagine if a man went out there in the snow last night and just said, stop, and all the snow disappeared, and the clouds, and you could see the blue sky. That's Christ. We stand amazed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and we sing as an outflow from our hearts and we don't sing as empty shells, as lip service to God. We love the Lord. We are changed as a community by what he's done. And now we love to give praise unto him. So I ask you, has God touched your hearts? Do the words of Christ move you to sing? And if not, then why not? And I would encourage you to examine your faith. Examine your faith. Maybe you're here and you don't want to sing these words because you don't yet know the love of God. Then I would, then you should ask God to change your heart so that you can love him. But remember that singing does not save you. Repeating a special set of words does not save you. Or lyrics. It does not make you acceptable to God. These words simply point us to Christ. When we have genuine faith that Christ is our Lord and Savior, that's, friend, that is when we are saved. The correct response to an unbelieving heart is not to muster, an up, uh, muster up enough willpower to sing. No, it's to fall on your knees and ask God for help. 
right? Ask God to change your heart and to allow you to believe in his son. And if, if you would, if you would, I would ask that you would come to speak to the elders today. I'm going to leave you with a song, which is a prayer about, it's based on a prayer about conversion. And if you desire to have a relationship with God and follow Jesus, then please listen carefully to these words. And if you know it, sing along. O great God of highest hand, occupy my lowly heart. Own it all and reign supreme. Conquer every rebel power. Let no vice or sin remain that resists your holy war. You have loved and purchased me. Make me yours forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can approach you through Christ and that you accept our praises despite our sin and shortcomings. What a merciful and gracious Savior you are. Help us to magnify your name as a church and to speak truth in love to one another. Build us up through the truths and the lyrics and sanctify us. Give us opportunities to be a community that shows each other how wonderful you are. Help us to make melody to you sincerely from our hearts. We are so thankful, Lord, for the rich songs that you've given the church through godly musicians and through your word. May we all sing the praises of your glorious grace forever and ever. Amen.